Welcome to the Mama Stay Fit Podcast, Birth Story Fridays. Today we have Mary sharing her two birth stories. Her first birth was an induction at 41 weeks with an epidural leading to a vaginal birth. And then her second was an unmedicated spontaneous labor where she received IV pain relief. We discuss a little bit further about IV pain relief and the effects that it can have on baby and the concerns with IV pain relief too close to delivery, as well as a little bit about epidural during this birth. Welcome to the Mama Stay Fit Podcast. This is Gina, perinatal fitness trainer and birth doula. And this is Roxanne, labor and delivery nurse and student midwife. And this is the Mama Stay Fit Podcast, where we empower you on your prenatal fitness, birth, and postpartum return to fitness journey. Our podcast shares how to move throughout your pregnancy to stay strong and comfortable. Pain is not a requirement of pregnancy. Understand the science of birth and how to approach recovery after birth. We share our personal experiences as mothers navigating the stage of lives, plus our professional expertise as birth workers and fitness professionals. Our goal is to help you feel confident as you navigate the perinatal timeframe for an empowering pregnancy, positive birth, and postpartum journey. We are glad to have you with us on this journey and that you've chosen us to support you. Welcome to the Mama Stay Fit Podcast, Birth Story Friday. This week, we have Mary with us to share her two birth stories, one with her son and then with her daughter that she had here in North Carolina. Welcome, Mary. Thank you. So tell us your story. First, how did you prepare for your first birth with your first pregnancy? So with my first birth, I honestly feel like I didn't do enough preparation. I was a little bit in terms of preparing like my mindset and what I wanted to do and all the different options. I feel like I was a little bit overwhelmed by all of the information and the options available. Just based on my family, I have a sister who has had three babies and my mom had four and they did them all unmedicated. So I was like, I'm doing it unmedicated. I've already decided that. And I just didn't really look into options other than that, like too much. And then physically, how to prepare for birth. I was a pretty consistent runner, like two to three times a week before my pregnancy started. So I kept that going until like month five-ish. And I was also occasionally doing some like prenatal workouts from YouTube, (laughs) just like in my living room. And I actually moved cross country at the beginning of my third trimester. So I sort of like fell off of everything after that because it was busy. But I did try to stay pretty active and do like daily walks and things like that. And I also was seeing a chiropractor once a week for the third trimester after I moved. And how was the end of your pregnancy after you moved across the country? So I definitely know how you feel because I moved across the country at 32 weeks from North Carolina to California with my second pregnancy. We drove and it was awful. Yeah. My entire body ached so much. (laughs) Don't recommend So I know the struggle of also having to find a new provider when you go to a new location too. Yeah. So how was the end of your pregnancy once you got to North Carolina and settled in with finding a new provider and all of that? Before we had moved, there was a bit of a question of whether or not we would be able to move. So we were kind of like considering options of what to do if we stay in California or what to do if we move. We were also in California. Sorry, (laughs) I should have said that before. If we had been able to stay in California, I was thinking about doing a birth center and we had talked to a birth center there. But when we moved, it just seemed a lot more complicated in North Carolina. And I was sort of overwhelmed and not sure how to figure out how to find a birth center. So we just sort of went with the easy option and found a local OBGYN practice and delivered at the local hospital. In terms of how my pregnancy was like symptoms wise at the end, is that also part of the question? I mean, yeah. 
my overall pregnancy was really like uncomplicated, <laughs> I would say. I had at the end like some pain and I had a lot of pain in my hands actually. I had like carpal tunnel or something. So I'd like wake up and my hands would be numb and <laughs> and hurt. And um, yeah, and my feet would hurt and like lower back pain and lots Same. of heartburn, but overall pretty easy. <laughs> so uh, do you want to talk about why were you induced? I was induced because I was 41 and two or three, I think th 41 and three days when I was induced. And yeah, they just wanted me to do it because it was so late. And I was trying to, I really wanted labor to start naturally. I was just like, I just really wanted that. And I was pushing them to delay it. They wanted me to have the induction at 41 weeks. And I was like, can I just get a few extra days? Cause you know, it's bound to start right <laughs> anytime now. <laughs> and then it just didn't. So that's why they induced Okay, so how did you feel when you had to be induced? And what was the concern that you had the most about having to be induced versus waiting even longer for labor, potentially? I mean, I felt disappointed, because I had been sort of like looking forward to the natural process of labor starting and like, what will it look like for me? And so I was disappointed. But I also have been told of like the risks of waiting too long. So I was okay, then doing it at 41 and three, but I didn't want to have a C-section. I was like, of course I'll do it if it's necessary medically, if that's the only way, but I really wanted it, preferred it to be naturals. And I was just worried that by being induced, it would like take me down the path to C-section somehow. And that's a concern for many with an induction because it is extra interventions that they're introducing that you yeah. don't usually have during spontaneous labor. So it's definitely a common concern that people have with induction. But tell us, how was your induction? So go ahead and tell us your birth story for your first child. My induction, I had a morning induction appointment. So we got to the hospital at like 8 a.m. And they checked me in and hooked me up to all the monitoring. And they actually told me I was already having contractions. And I just wasn't feeling them. Which I, like I didn't feel it at all. But they told me I was having contractions every two minutes. Before my induction appointment, I had had cervix checks at my regular doctor's appointments. And they had been telling me like for... Probably since I got my first one at 35 weeks because we had to take a road trip. So I got it a little bit early and I, I just wanted to make sure I wasn't like about to go into labor <laughs> or something. So I'd been having cervix checks since then. And even then I was already one centimeter dilated. And like the day before I had my induction, I was three centimeters dilated. My induction measure was just to break my water manually and kind of see how that went. So they did that and... There was uh, meconium in the fluid. The doctor said it looked like pea soup, which was like, oh, gross. <laughs> great, great. But so that was the doctor's comment. <laughs> it's honestly like a common description of meconium when it's like been there for a little bit almost. So it's like mixed in with the amniotic fluid rather than just like chunks of meconium. Yeah. Um, and it literally does look like pea soup because it's like that lime green oh, yeah. color like mixed in with it. But it can also be like chunky because it still has like bits of meconium in it. Mm -hmm. So whenever we teach childbirth it, I honestly do say like if your water breaks and it looks either green or has like chunks of black oh boy. <laughs> or it looks like pea soup <laughs> this is what that is <laughs> because so honestly it looks like pea soup yeah I mean it sounds like it's a good visual cue <laughs> yeah but yeah so they broke my water and it probably took about an hour after that for my contractions to get going to the point where I was like uncomfortable but I was laboring naturally with no medication for probably 
three or four hours after that, and they checked me, and I think I'd only gotten to four or five centimeters, maybe. And then at that point, like, was progressing, and things were getting more intense, and I actually threw up. <laughs> like, I was, like, walking around the room. I asked them if I could be unhooked from the monitoring because I wanted to be moving around the room, so I was using, like, the ball and just kind of walking around to try to, I don't know, be comfortable and keep things going. Because they would make me lie down every 20 minutes or so so they could check on the baby and everything. But whenever I would lie down, it would be like extremely more painful. So I'd be like, please, like, I just let me get back up because it feels a lot better when I'm standing. But eventually I threw up. My husband was like very shocked <laughs> by that. And they were making me lie down to get the monitoring. And it was getting like worse and worse, the pain. So my husband was like, are you sure? Like, you don't want to do the epidural? He'd asked me that a couple of times. And then eventually I was just like, okay, fine. <laughs> like, like, I felt, I didn't feel like forced into it or anything. I really felt like I had like made the decision and I was comfortable with it in the moment. Before they gave the epidural, I was also having like bearing down without trying to, or like wasn't meaning to bear down, but I was like pushing and like grunting. <laughs> And when the epidural was given, the nurse told me she thought that after the epidural, it would go quickly because she was like, the epidural will help you relax and that will help you dilate and just things to go more quickly. But that's not what happened. It actually, like everything kind of stopped. <laughs> so then I like napped. We hung out for a few more hours. It was probably like five or six hours later that things started picking up again the nurse told me to let them know if I ever felt like any pressure, which I guess would mean that the baby was coming down, but I never did. <laughs> so anyway, that's what happened with the epidural. It was just sort of like very low key from that point on. One thing that did happen with the epidural that I didn't know about beforehand, so it was a surprise to me, was that I started like shaking, like shivering my whole body right after they gave the epidural. And I was like, what is this? <laughs> What's happening? And the nurse, she was like, it's normal. This will just happen until the baby comes. And I was like, okay, <laughs> but I guess that's, uh, I didn't do any research on epidurals because I hadn't planned on having one. So I just was totally in the dark about that possibility, but it was weird. It's just due to the, the medication. Um, sometimes will cause like itching or sometimes your body to shake. It could also be like all of the adrenaline in like hormones that are like running through your body to like sustain labor. Yeah. Um, once you get an epidural, it's like all of a sudden they just kind of stop. And, like, shaking is a way for you to, like, release those hormones out of your body, which is super annoying. It's like the birth shakes. It's similar to that. Like, after you have a baby, even an unmedicated baby, a lot of people will shake after the birth. And it's like you're just trying to get rid of those hormones. Yeah. Um, but it is definitely not talked about a lot. So not everybody knows that that's what happens after an epidural. And, like, there's nothing that will stop it. Nothing. Like, I did fall asleep for a little bit, and I think when I was sleeping, I wasn't shaking, but, like, as soon as I woke up, it was – I mean, maybe I was sleeping and shaking at the same time, and I just wasn't aware. <laughs> Not sure. There was some point later in the afternoon where I think I was, like, is there a way to, like, get things going again? <laughs> or, like, what's happening? Why, are we, why is it taking so long? And honestly, I don't know if they gave me, like, Pitocin at that point or not. Seems like I should know, but I'm not sure. But things did pick up then. But – Anyway, so eventually they gave me the okay to push. There was a shift change. I had a new team of nurses. Actually, the new nurses that came in, I had like one lead nurse and then two trainees, 
which was actually kind of cool because the lead nurse would be explaining things to the trainees. And I was like, oh, interesting. This is, <laughs> this is helpful for me <laughs> to understand what's going on. Yeah. But I ended up pushing for like two hours, which was a long time. But I had my, my team there. I was really tired at that point. I basically, in between contractions, just wanted to like close my eyes and sleep kind of <laughs> because it, we got there at 8 a.m. It was at this point probably like 8 p.m. Finally... Uh, the baby was close and the nurses gave me the okay to push and they called in the doctor. The NICU team also came because of the meconium in the fluid. So the doctor and all of the other personnel came in. There was like all of a sudden like 12 people staring at me and then my contractions stalled. So I was sitting there like everyone set up and I didn't have a contraction for like five minutes <laughs> and the baby was crowning. So that was uncomfortable. <laughs> but finally I pushed him out. He actually was gray and wasn't crying and was like limp. So they put him on my chest and like wiped him off. And I think they cut the cord at the whatever appropriate time. And then they took him over to the NICU table and did a little CPAP machine on him. And my husband went over to be with the baby and he got better quickly and then cried. He was probably there for like five minutes or so. But I actually learned later that his APGAR score was only a two when he was born. And then like the second reading was an eight whenever they take the second reading. But everyone in the room, like the nurses and the doctors were all so calm during all of this. My husband and I were saying to each other later that we don't think we even like realized like how scary it was until later on when we were thinking back on it. We were like, yeah, that was pretty <laughs> scary. Like he was very, yeah, did not look healthy right when he came out. But luckily he bounced back quick and he stayed with us. Did he display any signs like during labor that anyone was concerned about that potentially when he came out, he was going to need to be resuscitated or like need to like have extra time or? No, no one said anything like aside from the meconium and the fluid. And they told me when that happened that it meant that the NICU team would be in the room when he was delivered. But other than that, there was a time during my second birth where like her heart rate dropped and they like said they wanted to watch, but like that never happened in my first birth. I always wondered if it had anything to do with that, that stall because it seemed like a terrible place to be stuck. He was crowning and it was like, it just seemed like a really <laughs> weird place to be stuck for five minutes. I have no idea though. It could have been because they, their heads are getting squeezed in that part of labor sometimes we'll have like a vagal response from that yeah and so it could have just been he started to have a vagal response and then your contraction came and he was born and so he just needed to recover from that yeah that definitely could have been a reason just from his head being squished mm -hmm. normal sometimes it just happens yeah but i'm curious too so what would you say were the best parts of your first birth and what were some things that contributed towards a positive experience for that birth the best parts, I mean, getting to meet the baby, I'm sure everyone says that. Um, <laughs> we actually had a really positive experience at the hospital. The nurses were a really big positive factor. I like, we were there over a shift change. So we had one nurse that was with us for the first half of the day. And then that team of nurses that I mentioned came on. And I really liked them both, especially when we had the team that were like discussing amongst themselves what was going on. And it was helpful for me. Yeah. We also had a really good experience in the recovery portion with the nurse support there. We just felt really well supported for that delivery and recovery. And then other things that contributed towards the positive birth experience. I think I just tried going into it to kind of manage my expectations because 
I wanted to do unmedicated, but, you know, I know that things can happen and it doesn't always go the way you had in mind. So I was just trying to, like, tell myself to be open to the experience, like, whatever was going on, which is why I think I felt comfortable switching to an epidural in the middle. <laughs> I was like, this is not going like I thought. Maybe I'll try something different. <laughs> so I think that openness to changing the plan was helpful. And I think that that's a very important thing to have is, like, that open-mindedness when a going into birth, especially your first birth, you have zero idea what to expect. Was there anything you wished you like wish was different about your birth or wish you had prepared differently for like wish you knew beforehand before going into your birth? Doesn't have to be obviously something you wanted to change, but potentially maybe you wish you had had more information on. I wish I'd had more information about epidurals and the different like pain management strategies that could be used because I didn't, I didn't work with a doula or anything. So, and I also didn't do a lot of like my own research because just like overwhelmed feelings, like prevented me from looking into it that much. But I wish I had known more about the epidural. I wish I knew about the shaking that could happen, that sort of thing. I also had some questions about like things I've learned since this delivery about transition and then also my experience during my second delivery make me wonder if I was like in transition right before I got my epidural. And like maybe if I hadn't gotten the epidural, it would have gone a lot faster because we'll talk about it. But with my second, I didn't have an epidural and it was like very quick. <laughs> that when you were saying that you had that urge to push, I was curious if you had your baby shortly after that. So yeah, because that is a common thing right before you would start to push. It could have been mm -hmm. that. They checked me. I can't remember if it was right before or right after the epidural, but they checked me at some point around that time and I was only like six centimeters. So it seems, but one of my sisters was telling me she read something that like, if you have that urge to push, even if you're not fully dilated at the time, you'll probably get fully dilated very quickly. So I don't know. Let's take a break from this birth story to share how Mom's Day Fit helps you prepare for your birth with our prenatal fitness, pelvic floor prep, and childbirth education courses. Our childbirth education course is completely online and self-paced. Plus, you maintain lifetime access to the course so you can use it for not just future pregnancies, but reference it as many times as you need during your current pregnancy. This course is completely closed captioned and walks you through not just the anatomy and physiology of pregnancy, but also prenatal comfort tips and exercises to prepare for birth, understanding the science of labor, labor comfort techniques and positions, and the immediate postpartum to include newborn care, C-section recovery, and postpartum care tips. Use code STORY10 to save 10% off all our courses and fitness programs. You can bundle our childbirth education course with our prenatal fitness programs and pelvic floor prep to save even more. Let's move on to your second pregnancy. How did you prepare for your second birth and how was it different or the same as your first birth? My preparation was probably similar. I didn't do enough. Also at that point I had 18 month old running around or a little, little younger, but anyway, toddler, toddler life. Yeah. The pregnancies themselves were pretty similar. I had pretty uncomplicated pregnancies overall, but I actually think the second pregnancy was even less discomfort at the end. Like I didn't have that hand and foot stuff. So I don't know. It was, it was a really easy, nice pregnancy, but yeah, not a bunch of preparation. Probably should have done more. <laughs> <laughs> eh, hindsight, right? Yeah. Uh, so then let's move on to your birth. How was your birth with your second pregnancy? So for my second, she was 
due on February 18th, and on the very early morning of February 17th, my water broke while I was home sleeping. It broke, like, while I was asleep. I didn't, like, get up and go to the bathroom. I was just, like, lying down in bed, and I felt it, and it woke me up. At that point, I wasn't really having strong contractions, just, like, minor ones. I thought they were, like, about seven minutes apart, from what I could tell. And I wasn't going to go to the hospital yet because I was going to wait for the contractions to get closer together and stronger. But then I noticed that the fluid I was leaking was green, so it had meconium in it. So I called the hospital and sort of like just to ask them, like, should I come in now, even though my contractions aren't Mm -hmm. strong yet? And I think they advised that I should because of the meconium, just in case something was going on with the baby. So we went. I had a family member. My sister lives nearby. So she came to our house to watch our older son while we went to the hospital. And we got there at about five in the morning. They admitted us and checked my fluid to confirm that my water had broken and it had, and they confirmed that it was meconium. I was about three centimeters dilated and I was having contractions like five to 10 minutes apart. I actually think my contractions got farther apart when I moved from home to the hospital. So they like slowed down even more. So then we hung out in the hospital for for a few hours. Nothing was really happening Like I wasn't progressing. My contractions weren't getting stronger at around 9 a.m. So we'd been there for like four hours. The nurse came in and she was like, we are starting Pitocin. And I was like, wait a second. Like that is not what I want. Like, can we not do that? Because I kind of went into this birth with the same idea as my first of like, I would like to try to do an unmedicated. But if I need to or want to switch in the middle, I'm open to that. But I didn't want to, like, jump to Pitocin right away that quickly. It seemed very fast to me. So I asked her, like, if there was anything we could try instead of jumping right to Pitocin. And she was like, well, I guess we can wait, like, an hour. You can try, like, walking around. I mentioned that I had brought my breast pump, so she suggested I try pumping. So I pumped, like, for 15 minutes twice in the hour. I pumped for 15 minutes then took a break and then pumped again for 15 minutes. Um, And I was, like, walking around the room with my little IV hookup, (laughs) just, like, in circles, (laughs) trying to get things going and, like, bouncing on the ball. And they also, at the end of the hour, they checked me. I had dilated a little bit more, but they also found that I had, like, a bulging water sac, like, still. So they were, like, saying maybe that was also preventing things from progressing. So they called the doctor in, and he broke that bubble. And then at that point, I don't know what, probably all three of those things got things moving, but my contractions started picking up very quickly from that point. And we didn't do Pitocin, which was good and what I wanted. So after that point, I was like sitting in the hospital bed. My husband and I were watching like a baking video because I like to bake and I was trying to pass the time and I made him watch it with me. And I would like pause the video for the contraction because I couldn't really like focus on it while... (laughs) The contractions were happening. And then at some point I got up and I was like feeling nauseous again, which also happened in my first. So I had brought chewing gum to like try to help myself not throw up, but it didn't work. I threw up and then and then they checked me again and I was more dilated. I think at that point I was like up to six or seven centimeters. And they offered at that point to kind of talk about next steps. They offered to give me some anti-nausea medication. They mentioned if we wanted to do an epidural, like now would be the time probably. And I really wanted to try it without the epidural. And I was feeling after my first birth experience, I think I felt a little bit more confident in like the process. And so I felt more comfortable not doing the epidural. And this nurse advised me that if we didn't do the epidural, that it would probably go more quickly. 
so my husband and I, we talked about it and we like agreed that we wouldn't do the epidural or I wouldn't do the epidural. But I was still a little bit nervous about the pain. So I asked about other pain management measures and they said we could try an IV pain med. So we did that. And like as the nurse was leaving the room to get the IV or the medication, she was like, oh, by the way, you'll probably feel a little bit drunk. (laughs) And I was like, okay. But again, I didn't do a lot of preparation or research on the different options. So I wasn't like prepared (laughs) for the experience of being on the IV pain meds. So I did feel very loopy on the pain meds. When the nurse gave them to me, she was saying something about they were giving the pain meds now and we would try not to deliver the baby in the next 40 minutes. She was like, we have to try as much as possible. You know, we don't want to deliver the baby in this window because it could be dangerous for the baby. So IV pain medication, depending on the type in its half-life, there is like a window of there being a potential that it affects baby to the point that they won't want to take a breath. So IV pain relief crosses the placental barrier. So it affects baby the same way that it affects you. And just like when someone can overdose on pain medication by taking too much, it causes respiratory depression. It can do the same thing for a baby, but they're very small compared to our bodies. So like a little bit potentially could cause this respiratory depression where that when they are born, they don't have that like effort to take their first breath. And then they just need to get resuscitated and usually just some Narcan to counter effect the IV pain medication that they're given so that they then take a breath. Sometimes it's uncontrollable where like after you get the IV pain relief and relax, your baby is just born shortly after where hopefully the, just like the pain relief hadn't crossed the placenta at that point. But I have not had thankfully anybody that's babies came out like shortly after they got the IV pain relief, they were born and that they needed anything but it is a risk associated with IV pain relief options. Yeah. So I was like definitely watching the clock like after she gave that to me. I felt really out of it. It was weird. I mean, I've never really experienced anything like that. I guess I would call it sort of similar to drunk, but it was also like my hands were numb and it was like weird feeling, but my contractions were getting a lot stronger through the 40 minutes. And by the end of it, I was like, okay, like it's, it's really getting, getting to be go time, I think. And they checked me at the end and I was like nine and a half centimeters dilated by that point. And the nurses told me that it would probably be okay to push through the last half centimeter. And they were getting things ready and like calling the doctor And I think I pushed one time and then felt like a ton of pressure, like a ton, a lot of pressure. And I told them that and was a little loopy. So I feel like I don't remember their response exactly. But then I pushed again and she like flew out. (laughs) So with my first, I pushed for two hours, it took forever. And with her, I literally pushed two times. The nurse caught her because the doctor wasn't in the room yet. So that was crazy. (laughs) And... With the IV pain meds, I definitely felt a little bit like I missed it. And also because it was so fast, I had like a much clearer memory of like the whole birth experience with my son. And with the IV pain meds, I don't know, it was just a, I did like that it was faster. (laughs) But I think if I were to have a third baby, which we're considering, but not right away, I would probably want to do it, try no pain meds and no epidural, like do the real thing I was trying to do both times before. (laughs) 
And that's definitely like something like if your birth kind of quickly happens after getting that IV pain relief, that it can like cloud your judgment. Just like when you're drunk and you still remember stuff, but it's like kind of fuzzy. So it's not like a blackout. We, you call it like a brownout. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's just me and my friends, but it's like the little details. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I just feel like I don't remember like details. Yeah. Details. And I kept asking my husband after the fact, I was like, was I being ridiculous? Like, did I seem like very weird? And he was like, no, you were just, you know, (laughs) I don't know. But I kept like feeling embarrassed afterwards, but like, was I acting crazy? Cause I was like on these, these, cause I felt very weird. Yeah, no. And that is definitely not always explained well, like the effects of IV pain relief Mm -hmm. on like your brain yes like how it's like how you are perceiving and like seeing the world around you to include like the birth if it does happen while you're still kind of affected some people they're like I just was so sleepy I don't remember anything yeah and I was like oh yeah I remember I wouldn't say I don't remember anything but it just feels like did I like miss something yeah it's funny though there was like a moment like as contractions were getting like very intense towards the end there was a moment where I was like, oh, my God, was it a mistake to not get the epidural? But then she was delivered like five minutes later. So it was so much faster, yeah, faster this way. I feel like we need to do a poll on people who don't get an epidural. How many of them like during transition or just like shortly before their babies are born? They're like, maybe is it too late? Can I still get one? Because I thought with both of them. With my first and second birth, I was like, well, obviously with my first, I was I was in a car. Not possible. As I was transitioning, I was like, well, if I was at the hospital right now, this would be a great time. <laughs> I think it would be, I would say yes. And then with my second, I was at a birth center, so it's still not an option. But I was in the tub pushing, and I was like, <laughs> yeah. I feel like an epidural would be really nice. Could I get to the hospital in time? <laughs> Gina thinks that during both of her transitions at her home birth, but then again, like, you got to leave your home and go to the location. Whereas if you're already there, it's yeah, it's more of a viable option. <laughs> but I would be curious. So you're not you're not alone in that thought. But did she come out and like had no issues or anything? Just came out screaming? Yeah, she was good. The NICU team, I think, had been like meant to be there because she also had meconium in her fluid but they weren't no one was there (laughs) oh yeah but she came out yeah but she was fine um luckily she was all good so what would you say were the best parts of this birth and what were some things that contributed towards a positive experience i think honestly just having a previous birth experience i think helped me a lot in this second birth experience and i think i said this before but just having the epidural and Going through it that way, I think, made me more comfortable with the process the second time and made me confident enough to say no to the epidural the second time. Yeah, I think that was probably the most helpful part. Um, Do you have any advice for our listeners on how like, to navigate pregnancy or birth or anything that you'd want to share? The advice I would most like to share with other expecting moms is just to go into the labor experience with an open mind. And both my birth stories, I went in with a plan, but I was purposefully open to other options and then changing the plan if that's what seemed right for us in the moment. And I think being flexible about that really helped to make both experiences overall positive for me, even though they weren't exactly what I had imagined. I think there's always going to be the thoughts afterwards 
after the birth, after any experience of like, what if this had gone differently? What if we tried this option or that one or done something differently? And I think that is totally normal to kind of reflect on it that way and to wonder. But also on the flip side, I really cherish my birth stories like just exactly the way they happened, even though they weren't according to my plan because they are our stories and that's how I got to meet my babies. So they're very special stories to me. And all of that being said, I also think it's a good idea to have kind of a baseline knowledge of all the options available to you. Of course, there are so many options and there's so much to learn about when you're preparing for birth. So it's hard to feel like 100% prepared and to know that you've like learned everything you want to. But again, in hindsight, knowing more about the different options that weren't in my plan probably would have helped me in the moment. But again, I'm pretty satisfied overall with how our stories went. But yeah, those are my kind of two pieces of advice. So Mary, thank you for sharing your two birth stories with us, with your both your son and your daughter. They're kind of pretty different birth experiences in general. One, it was an induction with an epidural. And the second one was your baby flew out of you with some IV pain relief. <laughs> and then the first with your son, he needed some resuscitation, just like a little bit of time. And then your second one was perfectly mm-hmm. screaming and crying as soon as she came out. Mm-hmm. But thank you so much for sharing your birth stories with us. I love, obviously, I love birth stories and hearing them all. Yeah. And I'm sure our listeners will love it as well. So thank you. Awesome. Thank you so much, Roxanne. The Mama Stay Fit Podcast Birth Story Friday episodes are sponsored by Balbe, a perinatal clothing company that supports your pregnancy, birth, and beyond with their expertly curated support wear garments. Use code MAMASTAYFIT for 15% off your order.